you cannot heal by yourself. You're overwhelmed or if you're in the thick of it or you are, know that there's something to heal. If you have not already already reached out to someone, reach out to someone. But the biggest thing is just say something. Don't suffer in silence. Hey, my name is Cheryl Witten, and this is the Aromatherapist Podcast. My newest book, Essential Oil Dilution Guide, is the antidote to confusing aromatherapy instructions and bad recipes. This is the book you need to undo everything you've learned on the internet. In this book, Essential Oil Dilution Guide, I explore how to use essential oils safely. You can learn with me about essential oils and allergic reactions, irritations and sensitizations, phototoxicity, methods of application, types of carrier oils, how to dilute by age and health condition, the right way to ingest essential oils, contraindications for pregnancy, epilepsy, children, and more, and the aromatherapy secret everyone wants to know, the blending formula you need to finally properly calculate your own DIY recipe or blend. Essential Oil Dilution Guide is available now on Amazon. My guest today is Dr. Maisha Claiborne, integrative family physician, master practitioner and trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis and timeline therapy, and founder of the Mind Remapping Academy. Through her NLP trainings, Dr. Claiborne focuses on helping men and women of color transform their lives by helping them master their thoughts, beliefs, and communication while eliminating fear, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, negative emotions, and passed down trauma that can get in the way of their ability to experience full joy, productivity, and peace of mind. Through her NLP hypnosis trainings, emotional release sessions, and personal transformation programs, Dr. Maisha teaches people how to connect to the power of their unconscious minds so that they can be in the driver's seat of their thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and therefore the results they produce in their lives. Her own struggles with imposter syndrome and self-worth is what inspired her to step outside the physician box, and now her trainings help people worldwide find their passion, purpose, freedom, and peace of mind in all areas of life. So today I talked to Dr. Maisha about intergenerational trauma and how we experience this kind of trauma in our life today. So whether it be racism or oppression or war crimes or even familial trauma like domestic abuse or undiagnosed mental illness in the family, addiction, those things that can affect our lives and condition us to behave in certain ways and in patterns. And so we talk about the cost of trauma and intergenerational trauma on families and individuals, and then what we can do to heal from that. So my friends, Dr. Maisha Claiborne. Hi, Maisha. Welcome to the show. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's so wonderful to have you. So I am so interested in your background and your transition from being a family physician into working with the unconscious mind and trauma. So can you tell us about how you got here? Yes, yes. Well, um, first I'll say that I, I think that I am, my mom is like the person who is the model for me to do things that were uh, upstream, right? Not against the norm. And and it's been a blessing, right? Um so I, my undergraduate degree, I got at Emory University here in Atlanta, where I live, and I was a psychology major. I have always been fascinated with the mind, but there was something about medicine. There was something about the body that I also really love. And so, you know, I took on the integrative approach to medicine. 
uh, which was to integrate in acupuncture and nutrition as, as medicine. And like I said, always been off the beaten path. And at some point during that time, I began coaching my patients in nutritional and, and stress management. Um, and during that time, I was introduced to neurolinguistic programming. I was introduced to hypnosis, which is work with the unconscious mind. And we may get into that a little bit later, but I was introduced to these things. And I thought to myself, you know, if I'm already getting results with my patients, then this is going to take it even deeper for me. So that was my first introduction to working with the unconscious mind in general. And I went to training in 2013 almost eight years ago, or almost uh, yeah, over eight years ago. And, um, and then I fell in love. I fell in love with the unconscious mind. And the reason I fell in love with working with the unconscious mind is because I realized that there are things in our lives that, um, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but there are things in our lives that we don't know are impacting the way we produce results, our relationships, our business, our money, our health in our lives. And so I fell in love with it. I continue to practice it. Uh, but at some point in my medical practice, I realized that I was loving working with the unconscious mind and coaching more than I was loving practicing the actual technical medicine. I never stopped liking medicine, by the way, because of the way I went into it, which is the holistic way. Mm -hmm. But I just loved working with the unconscious mind because I was getting such deeper, faster, longer lasting results. So um, 10 years. Fast forward 10 years after I started my practice, I decided to sell my practice and start coaching other doctors who were burned out. And what I focused on is number one, healing the trauma of our training as doctors. But number two, these some of these doctors wanted to, especially they were moms like me, moms in medicine, wanted to step out of clinical practice and felt this guilt and felt this shame about having spent so much time and so much money, but wanting to leave their career. And so again, working with the unconscious mind, using these tools, we eliminated those past limiting beliefs and negative emotions of anger, of fear, of sadness, of guilt. And they were able to successfully you know, move on into careers that they love. And some of them stayed in medicine. Some of them stepped into entrepreneurship. But that was the initial transition. Eventually, um, I did go on to do a master practitioner training and a trainer's training. And it occurred for me like a calling that I needed to teach these tools because there's a difference between giving a person a fish and teaching them the fish. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, in a nutshell <laughs> is the path that sort of led me to doing what I do now, which is teaching the tools of neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis and rapid transformation coaching to those who want to delve deeper into their own personal transformation or who want to help others. Beautiful. I love that. I actually have a little bit of training in NLP myself, and I'm always so fascinated by it and by hypnosis as well. I'm, I, awesome. while I work with herbs um, and oils and nature as medicine, I'm fascinated also with psychology. And I just, it's so empowering to learn how to change that part of yourself or, or advance it so that you can just be a better version of yourself, which is amazing. So let's talk about intergenerational trauma. This is something that I love to learn about, especially from experts uh, in the area. And I think the word trauma is often misused and sort of 
trivialized by daily conversation, which I think is kind of harmful to how we understand that. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, we don't all we also don't really understand. I still think that tra what trauma is, we sort of think of trauma as like a severe thing that it's, you know, you have to have suffered a war crime, for example, right. to be traumatized. Mm -hmm. And so people don't even really recognize that their experiences classify as trauma. So can Absolutely. you explain what trauma is? And then can you specifically explain what intergenerational trauma is? Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, trauma. Um, and, and one of the ways I like to distinguish it is and, and some people distinguish it in the field as, as big T, little T trauma. I don't believe that little T is to minimize anyone's trauma. It's just to distinguish like the major traumas, mm -hmm. like your war crimes or your, you know, um, personal uh, molestation or, or, you know, like things of those nature yeah, that violation. happen that are violation, personal violations, those or big accidents that happen, big car accidents that happens or plane accidents, you know, any of these big, these are like major events that happen in our lives, right? Death of a person. And then there are the, the other things that happen that affect us negatively, right? And they also are considered traumatic, right? So for example, a big trauma, and I'll use a personal example in my life is that I grew up in a home witnessing domestic violence as a child. Mm. Now, what's interesting about that is that I witnessed it, but I never processed that it was a trauma until my adult life, right? Mm. It, was my, it, was, it was a friend of mine who was a psychologist that actually told me, you know, that was a trauma and it was a significant trauma. And then there are some more small traumas that build upon each other. For example, in my residency training, there is a lot of hazing that happens and hazing is traumatic on a smaller level, but done consistently and over and over again, build up. Mm -hmm. And so a trauma is anything that happens that evokes a negative emotion or a negative experience that then impacts you, whether it's consciously or unconsciously for a long period of time until you deal with it and heal it. Now, intergenerational trauma, we talk, that word is used a lot. Generational trauma, intergenerational trauma sometimes is interchanged, is trauma that is experienced over multiple generations, or you have the trauma of something that's happened generations ago. And we know in medicine through epigenetics that, you know, there are experiences that can be passed down through the womb. Uh, we know that babies can experience a mother's trauma. We know that trauma passes down over generations and that reflects in health. If you look at the disparities in healthcare in uh, black Americans and Latino Americans, that if you look at the genetics, that stuff is familial in nature. And we know that those traumas get passed down and that's what intergenerational trauma refers to. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask that question. If it is, it does induce genetic change. Mm -hmm. Um, and is it, can it also be like, um, a result of, of your, your childhood of your conditioning? So say for example, your parents have a mental illness or they have trauma and then mm -hmm. that, so it's not necessarily a genetic thing, but then the way that they, that changes the way they are in the world and therefore how your childhood experiences is that Absolutely. also. 
that is another, yeah, that's another um, brand of, of generational trauma. So the, it's the conditioning, the conditioning, the unconscious conditioning, and boy, <laughs> we can go way into that. The unconscious conditioning that happens generation to generation. If you even look at, let's, let's talk about current events. If you look at the racial climate that's happening right now, mm-hmm. all of that is generational in nature on both sides, right? The, the ways of being that white people learned in terms of the culture to be unconsciously conditioned, passed down over generation to generation, that's generational, right? And the way that that has impacted us from the time that we were back in slave days mm-hmm. right? and before even, that has impacted us generationally speaking from a conditioning standpoint and also from a healthcare standpoint. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you learn experiences from, mm-hmm. from those that are around you that then you, Absolutely. you know, you, you pass on or you're, you or yeah, I find that so interesting and how there are cycles in families mm-hmm. of either belief systems or traumas. And I think we focus on family trauma maybe because of the profound impact it does have on children. Mm-hmm. Um, like you spoke of domestic violence. I mean, that can have very profound impact on children development. And then also because we can actually intervene there and do inter- early intervention can actually change children. But when we're speaking about cultural trauma, can you talk a little bit more about that? How that more about the intersection there between cultural trauma and intergenerational trauma? Because there are, there are, as you've said, there's, there are groups of people who have serious trauma that, um, gets passed on. Yeah. I want to, I want to backtrack a little bit and speak about something you just said. And then, yes, you know, when you talked about in terms of like, just from my example of the domestic violence, someone who has experienced that kind of trauma is also being modeled to. So Mm -hmm. what, in terms of the passing on of that trauma, the child or the person that's being modeled to learns a particular way to be right. They get conditioned. Like this is the way, this is the normal way. This is the right way, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. And they're, they're unconsciously going to say, I'm either going to be exactly like that, or I'm going to be exactly the opposite of that. But the key is that trauma and the unconscious nature of it is what's running the show not their conscious Mm. mind. And I think that's important to distinguish in any kind of family uh, trauma. And then, you know, we can talk about the cultural aspect if we pan it out to the cultural aspect. Um, There has been, let's talk about like oppressed groups, right? When a group of, of people, when a group is oppressed for so long, they adopt a particular mindset. Um, It's just like, if you keep an animal in a cage for however many years, and then you open the cage, well, they've learned to be in the cage. So Mm -hmm. guess what? They never really go out on their own without permission. And so I, I, in, in the, in the, the, um, the aspect of cultural trauma in the case of cultural trauma, um, we learn to be oppressed and have a, particular mindset, whether it's a scarcity mindset or fear-based mindset or a um, victim-based mindset or whatever that case may be. And it's because 
the, the culture has been victimized for so long, whatever that culture is. You know, I could single out any culture, but there are lots of oppressed cultures around mm-hmm. the world, right? And right now we're in the U.S., we're talking, you know, there's Black and Latinos that are being victimized. And there is a, and it takes something to really distinguish this. And it's, sometimes it's a painful pill for cultures who are oppressed to swallow that you can acknowledge being oppressed without um, being at the effect of it, mm. Right. And when we start to understand how that mindset has affected us and start to wake up to, um, we've, you know, as a culture fallen into this, uh, I will call it slavery mindset mm-hmm. that, um, you can, you can then find that you have another choice. And then there's about giving yourself permission to step out of that mindset. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and then changing the cycle of your, even of your own family. Right. Right. Because the thing about it is that, you know, if no one chooses to break the cycle, if no one um, decides, recognizes, this is a cycle, this is a mindset that we've fallen into. This is a vicious, you know, circle that we've fallen into. If no one wakes up from that, then the, then the cycle will continue for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. But when you stop and you say, you know what, I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to be the one to do the deep work. Then you not only heal your own trauma, but you heal the trauma of your ancestors and your descendants. And it's very powerful. But the key is you have to be willing to admit that the mindset that you currently have is not working for you. Mm -hmm. And it's not working for your family and it's not working for the culture. Right. Yeah. And having that mindset doesn't diminish the experience. And I want to make that clear because sometimes when people say, oh, we're in victim mindset or, oh, we're in slavery mindset or, oh, we're in, you know, oppression mindset, there's a a tend to want to say, oh, well, now they're diminishing the experience. But no, it's not a diminishment of the experience. It's now a recognition so that you can make a choice to step outside of that mindset and be powerful in what you're creating for the future and for the future generations. And- Mm -hmm to be well in yourself too, so that it's not so detrimental to your health. And that's what I kind of want to ask you about. What is the cost of unhealed trauma, but also unhealed generational trauma to our health, to our well-being? Like, what does that do? I mean, there are very physical things that, that that kind of trauma can do to us. Absolutely. Well, you know, starting with the physical, um, we know that this type of trauma create stress in the body. And that stress creates higher levels of cortisol. And cortisol in and of itself can wreak havoc on the body if it goes unchecked. You know, it can cause the blood sugars to go up. It can cause the blood pressure to go up, right? And and that type of, it can cause greater levels of inflammation, which cause abnormalities in cells, which lead to cancer. Mm -hmm. And so when we speak of, you know, populations that have experienced this cultural and generational trauma, and we look at the disparity in health. I was just actually wrote an article on how um, actually how racism and racial bias impacts communities of color and, you know, how um, black people are more likely to die of cancer. Uh, Black and Latino people are more likely to have problems with high blood pressure and diabetes. And, you know, it's because of this cultural trauma maternal mortality is mm-hmm. is much um higher than than the general population mm-hmm. and so 
there's a real physical effect on, you know, the body. But then when we start talking about mental health and the mind, uh, you know, it leads to this depression, this sense of feeling, feeling constrained in expression. It leads to anxiety. It leads to, you know, it can, it can lead to all types of mental illness. And so the cost is number one, not really being able to fully be yourself. Mm-hmm. And in not being able to fully be yourself, you get stuck in, you know, you get stuck in other people's conversations. You might have a job that you don't like. You may stay in a relationship that's harmful because you believe that that's what you deserve. Um, you may continually beat up on yourself uh, internally or even outspoken out loud. You know, these are the types of other things other than the physical health and the mental health, but like the behavior, it, it leads to increase in risk for addiction. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's all of these things that if you don't deal with the trauma itself, if it goes unchecked, if you don't deal with the emotions, if you don't deal with, and, and that's a really big thing, dealing with the emotions, because when you stuff those emotions, it's like when you put trash in a trash can, the trash comes every however many days, seven days. And if you don't empty the trash can, what happens? The trash overflows mm-hmm. and it seeps into the house and the smell seeps in all to the all corners of the house. Well, the thing about it is that if you're never dealing with the internal trash, the head trash, the heart trash, the spirit trash, then eventually it seeps out into all areas of your life. And it does impact other people. It impacts your, if you're a parent, your children, I'm a, I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. So of course that comes right to mind It impacts your, your spouse or your relationship it impacts your ability to perform in your job, it impacts your finances, every area of your life when you don't deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we are, we, um, this is nothing new. We know this. I mean, we know yes. with children, what trauma does to children's brains and then what that leads to. You mentioned addiction, but it's like autoimmune disease. It's heart disease. All of those things down mm-hmm. the road as adults, what that can do. Like your body does not forget, if you, especially if you don't look at it. That's right. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question. Sometimes that trauma and especially generational trauma, intergenerational trauma is called the legacy of trauma which I have a real hard hard time swallowing that term because to me it feels like we're sort of powerless against what happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that means we're going to um, exhibit that trauma ourselves. Are we Mm -hmm. actually at the mercy of it or can we, can we actually fix this? We can absolutely shift the narrative, right? Um, there are all types of terms that are used, you know, legacy, the generational, the, all of these things. But the implication is that, you know, we are at the effect of something that happened to us mm-hmm. way back before we were born. Well, I'll tell you when I do the work that I do with people, and especially there's a technique and there's a technique in NLP that I use called timeline therapy. And it's a process in which you really go to the root cause of that the negative emotion or whether it's, you know, we, we can say specifically trauma, but it really, we work on the emotions and the beliefs and decisions. Mm -hmm. So we go to the root cause, the very first event when that trauma or that emotion impacted the person who's, who's actually getting the work done negatively. And I have had many, many people 
go generations, all the way back into, you know, the days before slavery, Africa, or the days during that time when the Europeans were were swooping us up, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've had people go back generations to heal themselves from that, what we call legacy trauma. So the, and, and the results that get produced and the freedom that happens, as a matter of fact, just had a session yesterday where the, the man went back like four generations, you know? And so it, it, whether or not a person's traveling back in time or not is irrelevant because when you release at that level, you are breaking the cycle mm-hmm. in effect and changing the narrative. It leaves you free. It leaves you free to be able to speak, act, be who you are. And is it is it imagery you're using in timeline therapy or is it sort of emotional aspects of like giving yourself what you needed in those mo- moments? It, what What is timeline therapy? It's, it's, it's a little bit of both. So okay. timeline therapy is a tech, right? We do use a little bit of image imagery and, and there is a, a, a taking the learnings. So it's a, it's a technique where you can, it's a very precise technique where we go on the timeline. We use the timeline as the travel point, like the timeline being the line, the timeline of your life mm-hmm. uh, to go back to the beginning event uh, where an emotion was created. Now, when we talk about emotions, I talk about like the gestalt. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the first time one's ever experienced, say, frustration, um, that there's a, a, an event that happens there and it's, it's a reference point for the unconscious mind. And then every time after that, that you, you experience frustration, it gets linked to that first event, right? So it creates like a chain almost like the string of pearls. And we call that the emotional gestalt. So what we do then in effect is we go all the way back to that first event and we release the emotion and it's like the pearls fall off the necklace and go away. And so that's the process. And it's very powerful because it doesn't matter if you go back to when you were five or when you go back to when you were five generations ago or five lifetimes ago, right? Wherever the first event is, is where the first event is. And then you release that first event. It's the difference between chopping a weed at the at the level of the grass and pulling it out at the root. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what we do. We pull those negative emotions and limiting beliefs and decisions out at the root. And it doesn't mean a person cannot feel the uh, feel emotion. It just means each emotion that they feel is an emotion that they feel in the present, not linked to something in the past. Yeah. And you become super aware of like, oh, that's why I feel that way. Cause that Mm -hmm. happened because of that. And you just become so much more aware, I think yourself. Right. Yeah. And part of it, part of inside of that particular technique, what we do is when you get to that first event, you're recontextualizing the event and taking new learnings for yourself that you can take to the future or to the present and to the future so that in the future, when something similar, or if something similar were to happen, you actually view it and handle it differently. Mm -hmm. So that's the aspect. And the beautiful thing about this particular technique is it's content free. And what that means is you don't have to relive trauma in order to heal it. Yeah. That's important. Yes. 
Yeah. So as we said earlier, some of us know that like we can recognize that the things that have happened to uh, to our parents or to ourselves are harmful, but we don't always recognize those effects on us. So there's st- still very much that attitude like, yeah, well, I was raised like that and I'm fine, you know, but in fact, you're actually not. So there are other things besides what we talked about. Are there other signs or other feelings or ideas maybe that we should pay attention to that would signal that you're really living through like this is something that we should address? Yeah. One of the big things is if you tend to hit the same obstacles over and over again in life. So particularly like if you're um, having multiple failed relationships, but it's like the same relationship over and over and over again, then you might look at, oh, where is there, could there be trauma that's having me choose in this way? Right. Um, If you're having the same type of money problems over and over, you either you can't seem to get beyond a certain level or you get successful and then lose it and then get successful and then lose it. Right. So these Mm -hmm. patterns like that, that we don't, we just think are us being at the effect of life. But these are choices that um, we are reliving at inside of a pattern, an unconscious pattern of trauma that we might have experienced and be holding on to. Because when you have a particular trauma, it causes you to view the world a specific way. And so you're viewing it with a particular filter, then you make the same choices over and over again. So if you find yourself coming up against the same obstacles, having the same kind of problems, um, if you have uh, people who are saying to you, maybe you should consider talking to someone about that. Oftentimes people will give us hints and they'll try to give us hints as lovingly and as subtly as possible. If people are giving you hints, you might should listen up mm-hmm. because there could be something to it, right? Now that's not to say that's everyone because there are some narcissistic people in the world who always blame other people for, yeah. <laughs> for their stuff, right? So In which that. case they need to go see um, somebody. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And if you happen to have been with anyone who is in a narcissistic personality disorder, you still need to see someone because that's traumatic. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. They, they do a number on your mind. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to then go back and heal the trauma of that. Um, these are some of the main things. I think those are the, some of the main things to think about is if you're repeating, you know, repeating certain uh, negative habits or, you know, having repeated obstacles, those are, you want to start thinking about hmm, what's underneath that. Mm-hmm. So for the person who is really in the thick of it, totally overwhelmed with their own experience or trying to like heal, but it's just a lot. What is one thing they should know about healing? It is not done in a vacuum. Mm. If, if I could give, leave the most important point today is that you cannot heal by yourself. And you know why? It's because we have blind spots. It's the whole idea of the unconscious mind. Like they're, all of the things that are conscious are above the surface. They're the things that we're aware of. And then the things, even the things in the subconscious mind, subtly aware of may come to the surface. But there's like a whole host of things in the deep, deep, deep depths of the ocean, mm-hmm. right? That sank the Titanic, the iceberg that sank the Titanic, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because guess what? They couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage if you're overwhelmed or if you're in the thick of it or you are, know that there's something to heal, if you have not already already reached out to someone, reach out to someone. First step may be to just tell a committed listener, 
tell someone you trust in an inner circle. But if you feel um, courageous enough, then you reach out to someone, a professional who can mm-hmm. help you, a therapist, you know, uh, a, an NLP or hypno, hypnotherapist, someone like that, mm-hmm. a coach, right? Because hopefully when you reach out to a coach, they'll be able to sort of distinguish, oh, maybe you want to reach out to a therapist if it's beyond their scope, Yeah. right? Your doctor, your physician, you know, there are your primary doctor sometimes is a good first person to say, well, you know, I'm not doing so okay. Let the conversation evolve from there. But the biggest thing is just say something. Don't suffer in silence. I've done that too. Mm-hmm. I've done that too. <laughs> so I'm not, not saying anything that I have not been through that I have not had to deal with. It feels very lonely and isolating when you are not, when you're suffering in silence. And that is why, especially in the pandemic, the rates of suicide have gone way up. Mm-hmm. Not only in adults, but in teenagers and children. Mm-hmm. It's because the isolation and we are meant to be social beings, community, yeah. right? Come together as community. So utilize your resource, recognize, identify, utilize your resources, but don't do it by yourself. Absolutely. And sometimes you just, you know, you just need to check up, man. You just need to like run some blood, see if your thyroid's off, you know, you need to just get it checked and, you know, maybe you need to be stable in physically first before you dive into absolutely but then yeah someone's going to be able to help you figure that out and that's that's the key for sure yeah okay so can you just tell us um you you mentioned we've been talking about the NLP and you mentioned hypnosis can you talk to a little bit more about what this technique is and any misconceptions people have around it absolutely absolutely it's a great question so um NLP stands for neuro linguistic programming And it is how we use language, um, internal and external, uh, spoken and unspoken, to reprogram our minds at the unconscious level. Now, I talked a little bit about conscious versus unconscious. And the thing about it is how our brain processes things is in picture. So we receive information from the world and our brain then makes a picture of it. But there's a filter. And the filter is our beliefs, our environment, um, our past experiences, our value system, you know, and, and a few other our language, right? These are our filters. And so what happens is that information passes through the filters and that internal picture gets made. And that's what we're responding to. We respond to that. And then we make a response out in the world, a decision or a verbal response to that. Now, what NLP does, it gives you access to those filters. So you can change the filters, open the filters, get rid of certain filters that are not working for you, right? And when you shift those filters in a positive and empowering direction, you're able to change your behavior and therefore change the results that you're producing in the world. So it's like being able to live at your highest state of excellence all the time. Pretty powerful. And so um, hypnosis, which is a cousin, actually came before. So technically speaking, hypnosis came first. Right. NLP was sort of born out of hypnosis as a more precise way to empower people at the unconscious level. And then timeline therapy came after that and was created by my trainer, who was the late Tad James. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's an even more precise way. So it's like being a general practitioner to a specialty, so to a subspecialist, if you want right. to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So hypnosis is simply a folk, state of focus 
and concentration, an intense state of focusing concentration. And we talk about hypnosis as being in trance. And everyone has been in trance before. Yeah, when you're driving. (laughs) When you're driving, when you're in the zone in a workout, when you're watching a show on television and you get so into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's trance, right? And so um, what hypnosis is, is just a way that a, a professional assists you in going into trance, even those who meditate, that's like trance. I do yoga four days a week. I'm in trance all the time, <laughs> right? But the thing about trance is that it helps your mind to be a little bit more suggestible, which by the way, I always say this is a very, is a reason why you should be watching what you're putting into your mind, mm-hmm. right? Being very mindful of what you listen to on the radio, what you watch on television, those types of things, which podcast you're listening to, mm-hmm. <laughs> because those things really do hit at the unconscious level and they can either, either empower you or send you into a spiral, right? So just always be mindful of that. Um, I love to dispel myths of hypnosis because I think that, and especially in, I don't know how it's received up in up in Canada, but I'll tell you in, in the South, here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. in the South, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. So in the Bible Belt down here, hypnosis is not always looked at so kindly. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I don't know if anybody who's listening has ever seen the movie Get Out. Mm-hmm. What I always say to people is hypnosis is not mind control. We don't control people's minds. Hypnosis is there's no sunken place. We don't take people to the sunken place. That's not a thing. Okay. <laughs> That's to be said, though, because it is, it is a, it is a concern, right? That people are controlling your brain. Yeah. Right. We don't do the teacup thing. You know, that's not a thing, right? <laughs> um, hypnosis, we don't make you do anything you don't you want to do. We, you can't under trance, you cannot perform outside of what your normal performance or value system would be. So then people ask, well, what about the barking like a dog or clucking like a chicken or, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and that's a different Um, subset of hypnosis called stage hypnosis. And the people who do stage hypnosis as entertainment are highly trained in selecting audience members who would most likely do that if they had had a couple of drinks in them anyway. And so that is not something that happens normally, right? So there are there, are there ways that hypnosis has been used unethically? Yes. We shall not lie about that. You go to a practitioner they're bound to certain ethical standards in hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming and timeline therapy, therapeutic standards. Now, if you want to know how to choose the right hypnosis or hypnotherapist or practitioner for you, one thing I say, number one is where they get trained, right? Where do they get trained, Mm -hmm. you know? And then how do you feel being in the presence Mm -hmm. of that person? I think that is the most important thing. Because a person can check all the boxes, but if your little spidey sense is tingling, if your intuition is saying, "Uh uh-uh, then you can walk out the door and find someone else. Because I have had so many people come to me who have said, oh, you know, I've tried to be hypnotized before, but it didn't work. And I assert that it's because they didn't trust the person. Mm -hmm. And you have to trust the person, whether you've known them for a long time or not, you have to trust their spirit and their energy in order to allow yourself to be guided into um, a, a, a space. And that's, I would say, delicate. Mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot in the show, just yeah. about even with your healthcare practic- practitioners, your physicians, all of that, you know, 
you can interview the person to make sure this is a good fit for you. We match here. And it's actually very smart to do that. And it's you're taking a very active role in your own care. Yes. And here's a clue. If the person that you're asking questions or interviewing gets defensive, that's a sign, mm-hmm. right? Um, I welcome whenever I talk to um, my cl- my prospective clients, my prospective students, because I want them to be 100% sure that they're comfortable and that they're making the right choice for them and that they're satisfied with the process that led them to make that choice. And for that reason, I almost never, and I don't say 100% never because I'm a doctor and we don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Right? It's like a habit. Um, Almost never have have anyone, you know, say they were uncomfortable or or have results not be had, you know, the results happen and they're amazed and they get the full value, but it's because they were able to connect and allow themselves to to convince themselves in essence mm-hmm. that I was the right fit for them. Yeah. And you can't do your work if there's no, I mean, it has to be, we, we have to trust each other. We can't, no one can work together if that's very well or be effective in your work anyway, if that's, that's right. the case. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was so wonderful to have you. Where can our listeners find more about your courses, your programs, and are you accepting clients? I am. I am accepting clients. I still do some personal transformation work. And if you want to find out more about any of that, um, you can go to remapmymind.com. Beautiful. Well, we will link that up in the show notes so everyone can find you. So thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much, uh, Cheryl. It was just a pleasure to speak with you and be on the show. I, I appreciate you inviting me. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.